0: You guys grab a seat. And open your Bibles if you have one to Romans chapter five. Romans chapter five. We'll be looking at verse twelve and following. Romans five, twelve through twenty-one, the rest of chapter five, basically. Scholars disagree on what was the first letter Paul wrote. Nobody really knows. Uh, there is debate, and it centers around two different books, but most scholars believe that the first book Paul wrote was 1 Corinthians. That 1 Corinthians is the first letter of Paul. Now that may be true, it may not be true. And then between Paul and James, there's questions on which was the first one written, 1 Corinthians or James? And nobody, once again, really knows. But regardless of what you think about that debate or not, we know that 1 Corinthians was very early. In Paul's what's called corpus, meaning his body of writing, it was very early that Paul wrote First Corinthians. And in First Corinthians chapter two, Paul lays out a very distinct idea that we seem to forget, but need to remember. In First Corinthians chapter two, Paul says, and I'm going to paraphrase it for you, so we don't have to turn there. He says, basically, Christians understand things non-Christians don't. That's paraphrasing it. If you want to look it up later, he says the natural man cannot understand the things of the spirit. And in fact, they are foolishness to him because they are spiritually appraised. Romans chapters one through four are for everybody. Romans chapters 1 through 4 are for everybody. Anybody can read chapters 1 through 4 and get it just fine because it says the world has sinned, this is what sin is, this is why everybody's done it, and this is what God has done to rectify the situation. But when you get to Romans chapter 5, you move into Christian-only territory because these things are spiritually appraised. Now, I say that because tonight's passage is one of the most difficult ideas to, to, to grasp. And um, when we get to the end, I'm going to show you why it matters. Now, I'm not saying if you leave here tonight confused or having questions that you're not a Christian. Okay, basically, you should get everything I say every time. And if you don't, you're not a Christian. Sorry. That's not what I'm saying. There is going to be probably some of you, this will be the first time you've ever been exposed to this text. There are several places in Romans that I'd be willing to bet none of you have ever been exposed to. And that's okay. That's why we're doing this. But there are some ideas in there tonight that you're going to go, I don't, I don't believe that. And I'm going to go, well, it's in the Bible, so you're going to have to deal with that. So face, okay? Now, I'm not saying you're not going to have questions. What I am saying is that if you're not a believer in here, this is going to bother you bad. And if you are a believer, and you never heard it before it's going to bother you bad until you hear why it's true and once you hear why it's true you're going to go i don't get it but okay and uh that's what we need to have an idea of going into romans chapter 5 verses 12 through 21 romans chapter 5 through 12 romans 5 12 through 21 uh it rivals romans chapter 3 21 through 26 as one of the most theologically important passages of Scripture in the whole Bible. Now, if you've, if you've been coming to Crossroads for any amount of time, you know that I think Romans chapter 3, verses 21-26 through 26 is the absolute most important passage of Scripture in the whole Bible. I think everybody should have it memorized. If you only got to take one paragraph of Scripture with you to the desert island, that would be what you need to take, because everything you need to know is in that passage. But this passage of Scripture is almost as important. Okay, and it's not that every other Bible verse isn't important. They're all good in their own way. Uh, but to paraphrase, paraphrase animal farm, all scriptures equal, but some scriptures more equal than others. Okay, but here's the idea. Romans five twelve through 21 expresses something that is vastly important for us to understand. It's deep for us to understand. Now, to get this, we need to set the context up. Romans chapter 5, for the last two weeks, we've been talking about what? Why we can boast in Christ. Why we can exalt Christ. Why we boast in Christ. Why we hold to Christ. Now if you understand the Bible's, uh, Romans' picture of what it's been laying out. Here's what it's been laying out. That all of humanity has sinned. Yes, every single person in every single place and every single time, everyone has sinned. And that those who have sinned are judged by God, but... God, in mercy, has offered a way of salvation through Christ Jesus. And that way is through faith. And faith has, is how God has always justified people. That's Romans 1, 3 through 4. I mean, Romans 1 through 4, okay? That's it. Romans 1 through 4, chapters right there. I know it took us a semester and a half to do that, but there you go. We could have done it easier that way. There it is. Chapter 5 starts answering a very specific question christian question which is how can i know christ can save me see romans 3 through 26 says you can be saved through christ because christ is the offering god made for sin you are saved through this offering by faith but you should start asking questions and going okay i get that christ is the offering but how can one guy save all of us I I get how Christ could die for, you know, John's sin, but doesn't that mean that just John's forgiven? I mean, I don't see how Christ can die and take care of everybody. And how can this death be a kind of... How does all this work? And that's what Romans chapter 5 is about. First of all, Paul begins to say, okay, exalting Christ, trust Christ. He says it again, exalting Christ, trust Christ. Have you been here the last two weeks? That's what we've talked about. And then he moves into this. Now... If you don't have a Bible tonight, you're going to be a little out of shape, a little messed up, but that's okay. Uh, You just need to start bringing a Bible, and that's all I can say about that. But verse 12 reads like this. It says, Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. Now, verse 12 begins an idea, but then Paul... Uh, chases a rabbit. He goes on a rabbit trail. And he kind of goes off and, and talks about something else. And he comes back to what he's originally saying in verse 18. Okay, so let's read verse 12 and then we're going to read verse 18 so you can see the whole point put together and I'll explain the rabbit trail as we go along. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin and so death spread to all men because all sinned, verse 18, therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. See, what you're going to have to break down here is let's look at verse 12 again. Verse 12 says this. Therefore, sin came into the world through one man. Now, that one man, we're going to find out in verse 14, is Adam. For your note taker, you write down Adam. Okay, so that's the one man, Adam. Now, in Jewish culture, in the Hebrew culture, the word Adam means not only a name of a person, Adam, but it also means humanity. So the word Adam can be in the Bible and it can mean Adam or it can mean all of humanity. So if your name is Adam in here, your name means red earth, which means humanity in Hebrew. Literally Adam is red earth. So if you know somebody named Adam, go, what's up, red dirt? And just watch them go, what? And you just go, you so don't even know anything, okay? Because that's always fun. But that's what it is. So the word Adam means not just Adam, but all humanity. There's a double context of the word Adam. That's the one man. And so you can see the play on words here, which says sin came into the world through one man, Adam, and uh, death spread to all men, Adam. See, that's the idea. It's, it's all men, Adam, and all men. It's everybody. This is the kind of the word picture that Paul is playing on. Now, verse 18 is where we really have to understand this. And verse 18 says, Therefore, one as one trespass led to condemnation for all men. Verse 12 says, "Because one man sinned, all sinned." And verse 18 says, "Because of one act of uh, transgression, one trespass, led to condemnation for all men." What is Paul saying here? What Paul is saying? Is that when Adam sinned, every person who came from Adam and Eve were counted guilty by God. Before they were even born. Before they were even born, God said, Adam and Eve have sinned, therefore the entire human race has sinned. Everybody has sinned. Now, right now you're going, what? This is a, the academics call this understanding of the Bible, federal headship, federal headship. But it is more generically known as the doctrine of original sin. Meaning that in Adam and Eve, all of humanity received and was condemned to a sinful nature. Now, is this consistent with what we see about God? That God counts uh, the children guilty of the father's transgression. Is that consistent with what we see about God? Now, if you are just coming to Crossroad, you're going, no, that's wrong. If you've been to Crossroad, you're going, painters totally about to say yes because that's just how it is, right? In the modern church, no, that's not how we see God. In the modern church, we'd say, God wouldn't do that. God doesn't do that stuff. And once again, that's because the modern church, oh, I don't know, doesn't read the Bible. Okay, but let's just put it real basically. Look, by the time you get out of Crossroad, if you come all seven years you're in college to Crossroad, there are basically, there's basically, uh, let me think, one, two, three, four, five, five chapters of the Bible that are are portions of Scripture that you should know by heart because I talk about them all the time. Genesis 3, Genesis 12, Genesis 20, or excuse me, Exodus 20. Genesis 3, Genesis 12, Exodus 20, Romans 3, Ephesians 1. You should know those five passages I talk about all the time. Most of you have been here long enough, you go, Genesis 3 is the fall, Genesis 12 is the Abrahamic covenant. Remember that? So you are going, I'm totally lost already. Exodus 20 is Ten Commandments. Romans 3, justification by faith. Ephesians 1, the glory of God in all things. Um, you should know those things because that's what I talk about all the time. But let's look at Exodus chapter 20 verse 5. Now they're going to put it up on the screen for you so you don't have to waste time going back there. But in Exodus chapter 20, verse 5, now understand this is the first time God is talking to Israel. They don't, they don't, I mean, they, he got them out of Egypt. They followed him across the desert. And this is the first time he introduces them. The next passage of scripture is the beginning of the Ten commandments. Are you following me? And so before God even gives Israel a, a rule, one commandment, this is what he says to them. You shall not bow to them or serve them, meaning false gods or other gods for i the lord your god am a jealous god visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and the fourth generation of those who hate me are you following me now so god's saying to israel these are my commandments and you better follow them because if you hate me i visit your sin on your children for three to four generations So when I say, hey, you know what, what what God is saying here is that in Adam, he counted the whole race of humanity guilty. Is that consistent with what we see with God doing? Yes, it is. Why? We're going to get there. Right now, probably a lot of you in the room are kind of going, I totally reject this. Because the God you're speaking about is not the God that I've been taught about. Well, I'll tell you this, and I say this to you gently and as lovingly as I can. No, I don't. But let's pretend I do. Okay? The God you have thought of before this is weak compared to the God I'm going to present to you tonight. Okay? I'm going to show you why this is better than what you've thought before. But let me back up and let's watch Paul prove this point. So let's go back to verse 12. In Romans 5, Romans five twelve. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, so death spread to all men because all sinned. What Paul is about to do is show us how it is true that God counts everyone guilty in Adam's sin. Okay, watch. Watch how he proves it's true. And it says, verse 13, for sin indeed was in the world before the law was given. But sin is not counted where there is no law. But sin is not counted where there is no law. So follow what Paul's saying here. Okay. Many of us have trouble believing that God would condemn people who have never heard of Him before and never heard of His law. We have problems believing that. Now, if you have problems believing that here tonight, that's okay. We've already done a sermon explaining why it's okay that God does that. And you need to find that on iTunes. But here's the understanding of this particular verse. It's saying sin is not counted where there is no law. So you have Adam in the beginning and the law... That's that word, law, was not given until Moses hundreds of years later. Hundreds of years later. And God gives no commandments, specifically speaking, from Adam to Moses. But Paul says sin was in the world before the law was given. But sin is not counted where there is no law. Now read verse 14. Yet death reigned. From Adam to Moses, even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam, who was a type of the one to come. Now, we've got to unpack these two verses because they're huge. Verse 13 says this, there is no transgression where there is no law. Sin is not counted where there is no law. But death reigned from Adam to Moses. Are you following it? Sometimes verses break up in the wrong place because it breaks the flow up. Follow what Paul is writing. There is, sin is not counted where there is no law, but sin reigned from Adam to Moses. Now, you've got to put together all your systematic theology here. Ready? The wages of sin is death. Why do people die? Because they've sinned. The wages of sin is death. But here is the point. Paul is saying this, and follow his logic. From from Adam to Moses, everybody died. Everyone who lived between Adam and Moses, unless you want to count Enoch, we're not going there, died. But if they never sinned, how did they die? You follow me? You see, if 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 they weren't guilty of something, how did they die? Because the wages of sin is death. And if they had not sinned according to the law, how did they die? And that's the conundrum you have to put yourself in. Because there should be a bunch of people walking around that go, Yeah, I'm like three thousand years old, man. What's up? I was around with Noah built the Ark. I didn't die. God tried to flood me out, didn't work. Hola. Okay? That's what should be going on because they shouldn't have died. And notice Paul points out specifically that their sin, read it, was not like the transgression of Adam. Now, what does that mean? What it means is that Adam sinned because he had a specific command, do not eat from the tree, and he broke it with a specific action. I'm going to eat it anyway because Eve's hot. High five. OK, specific transgression of a specific commandment. So what Paul's saying here is, OK, all these people who live between Adam and Moses, they've all died. But they didn't sin like Adam sinned because Adam sinned because he had a specific commandment and he broke it. And God doesn't give specific commandments again until Moses. But these people died. Why, Paul asks, because death reigned. Notice that. You need to to underline that. You need to remember that. Death reigned. And the impression is that sin reigned. That in Adam, everyone was guilty. By the way, I ask you the same question about those you say have never heard of God. They've never heard of God. How can God hold them guilty? That's not the question. The question is, did they die? If they did, then the punishment of sin has been placed upon them. Theological conundrum for you if you're not going to follow what I say here tonight. But here's what Paul begins to pull us through. He compares Adam to one who was to come. He says, Adam is a type of one who is to come. Now, who do you think that is? Christ. It's Christ. As a matter of fact, if you go read our favorite books, the Corinthians, and you remember that 1 Corinthians maybe one of the first Christian books ever written, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, Paul calls Christ the second Adam. He calls him the last man. Adam was the first man, and Christ is the last man, the second Adam. So there's a point here Paul's trying to bring around. And he begins to compare Adam to Christ. Now look at verse 15. It says this, But the free gift... Remember, he's been talking about this free gift since Romans chapter 3. The free gift is not like the trespass. Now, in these next few verses, these next two verses, or three verses, 15, 16, 17, Paul is going to say the, the same thing Three times in different ways. Uh, I don't know why he's so repetitive, except the point is so grand. So you have to follow this. Same thing, three times, three different ways. So let's read 15, 16, and 17. But the free gift is not like the trespass. For if many died through the one man's trespass much more have the grace of God and the free gift by that grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. And the free gift is not like the result of that one man's sin. For the judgment following one trespass brought condemnation, but the free gift following many trespasses brought justification. If because of one man's trespass, death Reigned, there it is again, underline it, remember it. Death reigned through that one man. Much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness, here it is, reign in life. Underline that and remember it. Reign in life through the one man, Christ Jesus. Same thing three times. And here it is to boil it down. We know that death is certain. Ten out of ten people die. It's got a perfect record, except for Elijah and Jesus, even though Jesus was dead for a while. Pretty much the only person who's never died is Elijah. That's it. Maybe Enoch, who knows, but Elijah... He didn't die, although some flaming chariot came and got him and carried him off, which is probably pretty scary, and he might've had a heart attack and died on it anyway. So we don't know. But everybody else died. So death's winning percentage is ninety nine point nine with a little line over it, meaning forever nines. You're gonna die, your sister's gonna die, your mom's gonna die, your dad's gonna die, your kid's gonna die, your dog's gonna die. Your cat's not gonna die because it's a demon. But it will be thrown into the pit. Death reigns. You see, as we laugh about it, but really seriously look at American culture, what have we done with death? It's gone. There is no context for death in America. We take our old people and we hide them in nursing homes where we don't have to watch them. You don't put them on TV because you put the younger and younger people on TV. They have to be good looking. We don't want to know about death. We don't want to see death. People get shot in the chest in movies and then get up and continue fighting. We don't want anything to do with death. We've maneuvered it out of our thinking. The death is certain. Why? Because God's judgment on sin is perfect. Now here's follow Paul's reasoning in these three verses. He said, if death reigned, if through the one person, Adam, sin dominated. And think about this. Just sit for a minute and think this through. Has sin dominated the 5,000 years of human recorded history? War, death, evil. Has it dominated? If sin reigned through that one person, how much more will righteousness and life and grace reign through Christ? And I talked about this a little bit last week, but consider it this way. If a parent disciplines their child they love them if a parent does not discipline their child they don't love them if a judge does not punish the criminal he's not a good judge and the bible clearly tells us in the old testament that god does not delight in what is called the destruction of the wicked meaning god does not love killing people but He does it. Now consider that. God doesn't love to punish people, but He does it. And think of how powerfully He does it. And think about how absolutely He does it. And think about how there's no wiggle room. It's not like, is that guy dead or mostly dead? There is no mostly dead. There's live or dead. That's basically it. Are you following me here? I I need some head nods. God has so absolutely bound the human race to death, we see it as an inevitable end. But what Paul is saying is this, if God has so absolutely done that which He does not delight in, how much more is He going to do what He loves to do? Which is adopt children through Christ. You see, Romans chapter 5 is all about why can you trust Christ. And Paul is saying you can trust Christ because if God has absolutely done, and we see it, has absolutely done, what well, He takes no delight in, how much more is He going to love being able to be graceful through Christ? How much more is He going to be doing that? In essence, saying this, Your salvation in Christ is more certain than death. It's more sure than death. And that's a powerful thought. You are more saved in Christ than you are going to die at the end of this world. That's a powerful thought. That's an amazing thought. Now there's a couple distinctions we have to draw here. Because people can take this passage, these three verses, and twist them to say some incredibly horrible things. One of them is this. Okay, if Adam's sin counted for everybody, and we see that everybody dies, so we know it's true. Well, this says that one man's righteousness came to all men. So through Christ's death, everybody's saved. They just don't know it. Awesome. That's not what it says. Okay. This does not teach universal salvation. Note verse, uh, the first two verses or excuse me, 15 and 17. Let me show you the distinction. 15 says this. It begins by saying the free gift is not like the trespass. It's not like it. Meaning in Adam, all of humanity is found guilty, but in Christ, Not everybody is found justified. The free gift is not like the trespass. Why? Verse 17 explains it to us. Uh, It says this, If because of one man's death, death reigned through that one uh, one man, much more will those, what? Who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. So you see the distinction? In Adam, everybody's guilty. It doesn't matter. You are guilty in Adam. But for those who receive Christ, it becomes effective. So you can't take this passage and go, See, everybody's guilty in Adam, everybody's saved in Christ. That's not what it says. It says everybody's guilty in Adam, and those who receive Christ are found righteous by his life. Now, verse 18 sums this up. Verse 18 is the summation. So here's the sentence that puts it all together for you. Therefore, one trespass led to condemnation for all men. So one act of righteousness leads to justification in life for all men. Now again, all doesn't mean all. All men doesn't mean. This is a summation sentence. So if you're saying, wait a minute, there's 600 of us in this room, and you're saying Christ's death can count for all of us, that doesn't make sense to me. That doesn't make sense to me how... One guy's death counts for everybody. And the reason is, is because one guy's sin counted for everybody. You see, here's the problem is that many of us object to negative doctrine about humanity, but love good doctrine recording humanity. And I don't mean bad doctrine or negative doctrine as in that it's false. I mean things that paint humanity in bad light. We go, no, 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 don't want that. Don't want God. But anything that's good enough for our, for our benefit, we go, oh, yeah, that's good. You see, if I say you are found guilty in Adam, in Adam's sin, you are guilty. You will go to hell because of Adam's sin. You go, that's not fair. Whoa. I didn't even do nothing. What's up, Adam? You want something now? I mean, you're mad at Adam, right? How many of you say, not cool? Be honest. Let's, let's go. Let's be honest. Come on. Yeah, I'm not going to yell at you or shoot you. I have a sniper team for that, okay? Many of you in here, thank you to those who raise your hand, the bold, the beautiful, okay? Those of you here going, I'm not raising my hand because I don't want to do, Okay, you're losers and nothing can change that. All right? Everybody has a problem with this doctrine. Everybody sits down and goes, how can God count me guilty through Adam? That is wrong. But then when I say, and God will forgive everything in Christ. And as a matter of fact, in Christ, His perfect life will count for you. You go, yeah, I like that, good. That's right. Christ's death counts for me. Christ's perfect life counts for me. Okay, so the one life can't count for you, but the other can? Hypocrite! You see, this is where the biblical doctrine of imputation comes in. As Adam's sin counted for the whole world, Christ's perfect life can count for those who receive it. And it's a perfectly balanced scale. One to one. Imputation. Now why would God do that? Why would God do that? Verse 19 says, For as by the one man's disobedience the uh, the many were made sinners, so by one man's obedience the many will be made righteous. Hey Christian in this room, what Paul is saying is that you really were made a sinner by Adam. You really were. And you know that if you're in here and are a Christian. You see, the non-Christian really doesn't believe they're a sinner. They believe they're really a good person who's made some mistakes. But the Christian in the room says, no, evil to the core. And desperately needs Christ. That's me. You see, this says you were really made a sinner by Christ. As one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners. Take Note that it says, so by the one man's obedience the many will be made righteous. Just as you were really made a sinner in Adam, you will really be made righteous in Christ. That's a powerful promise. And you've seen God do the first one. And you can see God doing the second if you watch. Now, verse 20 gives us a picture because there may be a question you have about why the law then. I mean, if we were already guilty in Adam, how come God even wasted time giving commandments? That doesn't make sense. And Paul says it does make sense. In verse 20, a famous passage, it says this, although you probably only know the last part. It says, Now the law came in to increase the trespass, but where sin increased, Grace abounded all the more. You see, if you say, well, if we're all counted guilty in Adam, how come God even gave the Ten Commandments and the law? That doesn't make sense. And the answer is, God gave the Ten Commandments and the law, so there would be more sin. Okay, that makes sense. If we're all guilty because of one sin, how come God would want billions of sin? Why why would God want billions of sins? Make no mistake about it. You are guilty in Adam, but you are also guilty because of your own sin. You'll see language that says, We are sinners by nature and choice, meaning we are counted guilty in Adam's sin, but we also have our own sins we've committed. Where where sin increases, though, we see the promise grace abounds. Now, in the first few verses of this passage, what does Paul say over and over again? He says, Death reigned, death reigns, death reigned, death reigns. And in the last verse of chapter 5, we get what Paul is trying to get to when he writes this. So that as sin reigned in death, there it is again. Underline it, highlight it, tattoo it on your forearm. Sin reigned in death. In death, grace also might reign through righteousness. Leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. This is one of those places where breaking up the sentence hurts the picture. So let's read verse 20 and 21 together. It's one sentence. Verse 20 says this. Now the law came in to increase the trespass. But where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. So that as sin reigned in death, grace might also reign through righteousness leading to eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Do you see the distinction when you put those two verses together? When the law was given so that sin might increase, but where sin increases, grace abounds, so that grace might reign. I almost called this talk so that grace might reign. Why would God count all of humanity guilty in Adam? It doesn't seem fair. It doesn't seem right. You can't explain it. But Christian, here is the answer that I told you about in the beginning of this sermon. That those who have the Spirit will stop and say, okay. And those who won't will say, I don't care what you say. You're still wrong. The answer is, ready? So that grace might reign. Now, I don't know how much you know about the Bible. And I don't know how much you know about God. And I don't know how much you want to know about the Bible or want to know about God. But here's one thing I can tell you. You want a world where grace reigns. You want a world where God's grace is paramount and reigns. Don't you? This is what God did so grace would reign. Romans chapter 5, Romans chapter 9, huge places where we're going to have discussion points. But if you can't walk out of Romans chapter 5 going, so grace might reign. Let's not even do Romans chapter 8. Because you're not going to want to hear it. Why Adam? Why Christ? Tattoo this on your forearm. To quote the Old Testament, put it on your doorposts and tie it in your sleeves so that it will be always before you, so that grace might.